Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. All right. Sounds great. Well, our memory verse today, let's do that first before Pastor Sam dives in. It's uh, You can read it along with me. It's John 8, 28 to 32, which says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All that beautiful scripture in verse 32 starts with if. And what we are doing in HeartStrong is responding to that if, We want to abide in his word. And so I want to pray and then turn it over to Pastor Sam. Holy Spirit, as we dig and open your word, as Pastor Sam opens it today, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would there be nuggets of truth within it? As we abide in you, we want to be free and found in your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sam, are you ready? Because I'll turn it over to you, sir. Ready to go. It's going to be a great morning. Um, We are in Judges chapter 15, 16. I'm so excited to be here. Um, And thank you so much just for the opportunity to come on and and share with you all this morning. Um, Now, we are talking through the story of Samson. Okay. Um, And the story of Samson is really, really, uh, you know, interesting (laughs) to me. Um, You know, do any of you watch um, like real, like movies based on a true story. Like my dad, he is like, lo- like if it's not based on a true story, my dad will not watch the movie. Okay. So growing up, we watched a lot of uh, movies based on a true story. And um, like, I, I both loved them. And sometimes I was really frustrated because I like happy endings. And sometimes these movies you like watch them and the character, like you, you have so much hope for them at the beginning and slowly you watch them make bad choices and you're like, no, please don't do it. Please don't make that decision. And then they make the bad decision and you watch the story unfold. And at each turn, you're like, maybe things will change. Maybe things will get better. Maybe they will have learned their lessons. And time after time, Uh, I would find myself being disappointed and then the movie would end and it would end somewhat sweet, but mostly bitter. Um, And this is kind of like the story of Samson in my books Um, because you read it and every time you're like, Samson, please, please, I'm begging you, like, don't do this. Like, don't make this poor decision. And yet time after time, we see Samson 
making decisions that that don't honor God or that don't glorify Him and that don't um, ultimately lead to the result that uh, you know would be desired. And I believe that God that the the destiny that God had set before Him. And so. Um, the story of Samson is a story of a man with calling, purpose, and potential, but none of it is realized as a result of his constant sinful decisions and poor life choices. As we read the story of Samson, it is not it not only serves as a representation of the brokenness of the people of Israel at the time, but also a reminder to us of our broken human nature and our shortcomings as it relates to obeying God. And so as we look at the story of Samson, I believe there's three themes that we'll see consistently, and they're all kind of different issues um, that, that Samson highlights to us. And one is intimacy. Um, when we find intimacy, in, when we're searching for intimacy and look for it in, in wrong places, um, and the other one is this consistent theme of disobedience where God is leading in one direction, but Samson chooses to head a different direction. And lastly, I think it's this idea of justification um, of simply, you know, there's sin in Samson's life and there's a neglect to actually identify it and repent and seek God. And so I think my question for all of us this morning is which one of those areas might God be wanting to work in your life? Is, is there a place where he uh, is desiring you to grow in intimacy with him and calling you to search for intimacy, not in other things or not in, in other places, but rather to draw you closer to his heart? Are there places where perhaps God um, is highlighting areas that he wants to bring you into alignment with him on? Uh, is there perhaps an area where, where God wants to bring us to, to repentance and, um, simply, uh, you know, coming to him and saying, this is no longer what I want, Lord, would you restore my heart and restore my soul? And so uh, whatever it is this morning, I pray that our ears would be open and that our hearts would be open uh, to hear what it is that the Lord is speaking. And I believe that at the end of this story, um, there, throughout it, we see this consistent hope that God even in it is working things for the good of the people of Israel, just like I believe for each of us, as we find intimacy in him and as we seek to obey him and as we seek to um, be in relationship with him and repent of our sin, then there is this beautiful hope that we have of what it is that God can do in our lives. And so um, let me pray for us this morning as we dive into the story of Samson and uh yeah, I'm, I'm just believing that God is going to speak to us so beautifully this morning um, in a bit of a, a tougher and an odd story with the story of Samson. So let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to dig into your word. We thank you that you are present on this call and that you desire to speak to us, Father. And so I pray that as we uh, spend this time together, Father, would it not be um, about, about uh, just knowing more, but would it truly be about being transformed by your spirit? Would it truly be about growing in relationship with you and allowing you to change who we are today? And so, Father, would you lead us? Would you highlight areas of our lives, Lord, that you want us to, to bring to you in a place of intimacy? Would you 
highlight areas of our lives where you're calling us to obedience? Would you highlight areas of our lives where you're calling us to repentance? And may we choose to follow you and step into um, the beautiful truth and the beautiful hope that we have, that you make all things new, that you have called us and have an incredible purpose for each of our lives. And so therefore, um, when we come to you, we can see you do incredible things in our lives and through our lives. Would you be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So let's let's dive in here. Um, in chapters 13 and 14, I'll give a quick summary of chapters 13 and 14 as we weren't on uh, for Heartstrong yesterday morning. Um, so I'll give a quick overview of chapters 13 and 14, and then we'll dive right into chapter 13 and 16. So, um, so the book of Judges consistently follows a pattern. All right. So the people of Israel uh, sin against God or do evil in the eyes of the Lord. God um, allows them to be oppressed by the neighboring nations, uh, and therefore they come into repentance to the, to the Lord. Uh, they're delivered. God says, "Undeliver," and then they experience a season of peace. So this is kind of an ongoing cycle that we see in in the Book of Judges. And in chapter thirteen, we pick up at the beginning of one of these cycles. So we're told that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord, um, and therefore, you know the they are placed under the oppression of the Philistines. Now they have a longstanding conflict with the Philistines. Um, and as you'll see, the Philistines are known to be a brutal people, um, as we'll see throughout this story. So in that space, Scott sends a deliverer named Samson. So he sends him through uh, a man from the tribe of Dan, Manoah, uh, and his wife. And so you've all read the story. The angel comes, he, uh, you know, tells them that they're going to have a son, he's going to be a Nazarite, and that um, they, that he will essentially deliver the people of Israel. Um, and so the, there's three guidelines for the Nazarite vow um, that Samson is to take. So the first is that he won't partake in any strong drink, fermented drink, um, won't partake with anything uh, of, of the vine. The second is as a Nazarite, he won't cut his hair um, for you know, duration of the vow, which is his entire life. And then the last kind of guideline for the Nazarite vow is um, that he won't go near any dead bodies. So this is um, kind of a vow and a symbol really of Samson being set apart or consecrated or devoted to the Lord um, as, as a vessel. Um, and so this is kind of the, the calling of Samson from the very beginning. We're told that Samson grows up and he's blessed by the Lord. Uh, and we're also told that the spirit of the Lord begins to stir him up. Then the story skips down a few years um, and Samson engages this beautiful, this uh, not so beautiful um, relationship um, with a daughter of the Philistines, which is not something the people of Israel are supposed to do. They're not supposed to be connected with the Canaanites or the Philistines or anyone outside of the people of Israel in this way. Um, but yet this is something that Samson chooses to engage with. Um, you will notice that even with a Nazarite vow consistently, Samson, um, you know, does things that he's not supposed to do and so therefore finds himself in places that he's not supposed to be um and so this is one of those things engaging in this relationship he wants to marry this daughter of the philistines 
And so all is arranged. And during the wedding feasts, um, Samson gives a riddle to uh, the men of uh, that are that are there, um, and as the story unfolds, um, no one's able to guess it until Samson tells his wife, tells his wife, or his soon-to-be wife, and then his wife tells the men. Um, Samson obviously ends up losing that wager, and chapter fourteen ends with Samson striking down thirty men and returning to his father's house. Um, and so this is where we pick up the story. It's a bit of a loaded story. So this morning we are going to fly. Um, so I pick up the story in chapter 15 and this is after everything is kind of unfolded. Samson has gone back to his father's house and now he is, has decided to return to see um, who he thought is, was his wife. So he returns to see his wife in the first three verses. We learn that his wife has been given to another man, um, and this angers Samson. In fact, uh, it really, really upsets him, specifically with the Philistines. So he says, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So um, he, Samson becomes angry because his wife has been given away. And the, what's interesting to me um, is that, like I said before, Samson commits choices uh, that he was never supposed to make. So he finds himself in places where he was never supposed to be. And the real root of his anger um, is not totally perhaps with the father, um, but I believe the, the real root of the problem is Samson's bad choices. And he had no business falling in love with an ungodly pagan woman. And in fact, we, we were told in Proverbs 4.23, uh, to God our heart, protect our heart with diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so this failure to guard our heart can result in great trouble. And, and this is the reality for Samson. And when Samson gets angry, what happens is um, he engages uh, the, the Philistines. Now, this isn't a bad thing, um, as it, it all has a purpose, and God knows exactly what he's doing. So God used Samson's ungodly anger for his purposes. Um, in Psalm 76.10, it says, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. And so this doesn't justify Samson's anger, but it shows the glory and the power of God to use all things for his purposes. And so then Samson's revenge is that he takes 300 foxes, uh, attaches torches to them, and then sets them loose in the fields of the Philistines. And so uh, what ends up happening is that all the Philistines harvest and their grain, um, and their stacked grain, and their olive orchards, they all are destroyed. And it's in this place that the Philistines want to know who has done this. They find out that Samson um, is the one responsible for this. And as then a form of revenge against Samson, the Philistines come and burn his wife and her father. This is an intense story. <laughs> um, and uh, once Samson find, hears of this, um, he says this, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now, consistently, you'll see this pattern. 
of revenge throughout Samson's story. One thing happens over here, it leads to somebody getting upset and taking revenge. And then this act of revenge leads to somebody else coming and taking revenge. Now, all of this comes at the great expense of Samson. Samson consistently is, is losing, is uh, you know experiencing heartache um, as a result of all of these things unfolding. Um, and so God uses all of this all of the conflict um, in this story to advance his plans for Israel and redemption. Yet because of Samson's disobedience, it all happened at great personal cost to Samson. It is fair to suppose that if Samson were to have been obedient, then God would have furthered his plan in a way that blessed Samson as opposed to causing him heartache or pain. Um, and so I think this is a beautiful example for us where, you know, God will use any situation to further his, his plans and his purposes, but we have the beautiful opportunity on a day-to-day -day basis to partner with him. On a day-to-day -day basis, we can listen to the spirit. On a day-to-day -day basis, we can um, hear God's voice and actually partner with him and, and be a part of this furthering of his kingdom. You know, God's kingdom will continue to move forward, but the beauty of it is that we can engage in the blessing of partnering with him. So going back to the story, um, here we have a bitter story of retaliation, of trying to avenge wrongs done to them. Retaliation is a never-ending story and one that never wins in the end. Those who trust in God must be able to say retaliation belongs to God. I'll settle. I'll let him settle the score. Much of the war, disaster, deep-seated hatred, and pain in our world can come from this instinct to retaliate. But Jesus told us not to retaliate an eye for an eye, but to take control of the situation by giving even more. When we do this, we act like God who did not retaliate against man for his sin and rebellion, but instead, but instead gave his only son to die for man. And this is um, the beautiful challenge that we see in the story, the shortcoming that we see in the story that God is perhaps highlighting for us to be a, a redemptive kind of source in the world around us. And so continuing on in verse nine, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is that you have done to us? And he said to them, as he did to me, so I have, uh, as, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Um, and this is a place where uh, the, the people of Judah, who, who are part of the people of Israel, are seeing the Philistines and experiencing some resistance, experiencing some opposition, experiencing uh, some discomfort as a result of what is going on with Samson. Um, and they, they're frustrated and they want Samson to give himself up. And I wonder, you know, if that discomfort 
is just naturally a part of God leading us into freedom. And I think that oftentimes when freedom um, is going to come into our our space, when God is about to expand um, our territory and how he is going to use us, there is a beautiful place of discomfort that we may find ourselves in. And I think the key in all of this is, can we see not only what is, but perhaps what God is doing in all of it? Perhaps the ways that he is using this current situation or using this current moment of discomfort to lead us to a place of freedom. And so um, in the story, uh, (laughs) the men of Judah ask Samson to give himself up. He agrees to it. And so he allows the men of Judah to bind him up and to hand him over to the Philistines. And so um, they hand him over to the Philistines, um, except when the Philistines are coming, Samson breaks off the bindings from his hands and he finds the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. Now, this is crazy. This is an amazing victory on one hand. Um, and, and I think that, that in it, we see the potential that Samson could have had. Samson was unique among the judges because he was a one-man army against the Philistines. Other judges led Israel's armies um, against their enemies, but Samson, well, he fought alone. And I think this gives us some insight because with this remarkable victory, we are conscious of what he might have done had he been wholly yielded to the spirit of Jehovah who came mightily upon him. Instead, uh, if he had been yielded to the spirit of Jehovah, instead of being so largely governed by his fires, by the fires of his own passions, we could have seen a very different story unfold through the life of Samson. And so um, in verse 17, uh, we see that he finished, he has this great victory. He kills a thousand of the Philistines and uh, with a jawbone nonetheless, which is kind of confusing to me because he's a Nazarite. So therefore he shouldn't be touching carcasses. But yes, in this moment, he uses a jawbone to destroy the Philistines. There's a lot of pieces to this story uh, that, that are, are challenging and it causes us to ask questions. And so um, he, he has this great victory and he finds himself thirsty with no water around him at um at Lehi. And so um in this moment we see Samson who has just been so victorious, literally killed a thousand men um just by himself and he finds himself in a place of weakness. And it's interesting the contrast, but it all serves a purpose. You see Samson needed Um, this thirst to remind himself of his own weakness and need right after such a great victory. After such a great victory, he needed to remember his mortality. It was partially sent by God that by the experience of his own impotence, he might be forced to ascribe the victory to God only and not himself. Had Samson had this great victory and perhaps not recognized God's work in it, he may have thought it was just himself. But 
in recognition of his own weakness. Perhaps it may have been a glimpse in recognizing that this was not of himself, but rather of God. And so the Lord um, splits the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank. And this is an example of the principle that God works. This is a, uh, sorry, this is an example of the principle that God's work done God's way will always provide, be provided for by God. Here the Lord showed his faithfulness to Samson by supplying the needs of his servant. When we pursue Christ and when we follow him and when we're obedient to his call, um, God is always faithful to provide for his purposes. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Now, that is the end of chapter 15. Um, and now we will dive into chapter 16 really quickly. Um, so once again, you see Samson finding himself in a sticky situation um, where, you know, he's engaged in something that he shouldn't, uh, specifically in Gaza with a prostitute. Um, the people in that town decide to ambush him, except what happens is Samson literally takes the city gates and the two posts and he pulls them apart and carries them up to the top of the hill on his back. And uh, this is a confusing part for me because I'm like, God, like Samson is consistently failing you. And yet you don't seem to be doing anything about it. Um, and I just felt like as I was reading this story, God was like, you don't recognize like how patient I am. And so consistently, like I am patient with Samson and I am also patient with you. And I want to use you no matter what. So continuing on in verse four, uh, Samson falls in love with Delilah, uh, once again, not guarding his heart. And Delilah is, uh, you know, instantly presented with this offer um, by the lords of the Philistines, which she takes up. And so she now has the mission to find Samson's strength. Um, and so there are four attempts that uh take place where uh, Delilah asks Samson what the strength, uh, what where his strength comes from. And Samson gives her an answer, which are incorrect, but slowly are progressing closer and closer to the truth. Um, and so the first one, he says, if you bind me up with seven fresh bowstrings, the second one, um, he says, if you bind me up with new ropes. And the third one, he says, if you weave my the locks of my head into a web and pin it. Um, and then lastly, he finally gives in and he finally tells Delilah um, where the source of his strength com comes from, which is his hair. Um, that if she shaves his head, then he will be just like every other man. And so um, it's in this place where Samson has given in to Delilah's uh, constant nagging that we see something change. Um, and what changes is that Samson in this moment had to know what was coming. He faced the choice between faithfulness to his God or continuing an ungodly relationship. And it's in this moment where Samson chooses Delilah over God that things begin to shift in a very, very terrible way. And so uh, Samson is 
given over to the Philistines. Um, and now that his hair is cut, he has no strength left. Um, and as a result, he is placed in prison, treated brutally. Um, and then finally, he is uh, he finds himself with his hair growing back a little bit, and he prays and he asks God, and he, with the help of um, of someone, is placed between two pillars, which allow him to destroy uh, the, the house, the place where he finds himself with the Philistines, and it all comes crumbling down. Um, and it's in his death that he's able to, uh, you know, really set the biggest blow against the Philistines. And so I, I say that all really quickly in, in, in summary, there's so much that we could go into in this story. Um, but really, like, I just have a few final thoughts, and then we can open it up for discussion, and uh, perhaps dip, dig a little bit deeper into the story. But going back to what I had mentioned at the beginning, is um, that consistently we see three issues in Samson's story, and that is of intimacy, disobedience, and justification. And so you see Samson sought intimacy in all the wrong places, and perhaps if Samson had sought intimacy with God instead of looking for it in other places, he would have found truth instead of deception, hope instead of heartbreak and purpose instead of destruction. Because of his searching for intimacy, he finds himself deceived, brokenhearted, and never realizing the beautiful purpose God has spoken over him. As with regards to his disobedience, Samson was called to be set apart, but neglected to walk a life of righteousness. Perhaps if Samson had taken on his call to be set apart and consecrated to God, perhaps he would have been the deliverer that he was meant to be for the people of Israel. And you and I are called to be a type of deliverers in the world around us. If you look at Isaiah 61, it has this beautiful kind of declaration or, or calling. Um, and it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of, of God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In the world around us, we can be this kind of person that comes and brings joy and brings the spirit of God with us wherever we go. But there has to be a place of obedience in that space. And the third part or the third theme we see unfold in Samson's life is that of justification. Samson could have made adjustments to his life at any point, but consistently neglected to address or repent for his sin. Perhaps if Samson had turned from his ways, not only uh, may he have been more effective, but perhaps he would not have endured a lifetime of heartache. He may have been able to both fulfill God's purposes and enjoy the ride. And so this is my final thought. Obedience to Christ may sometimes seem costly, but in the end, it is always more fulfilling than our own desires. May we not be deceived in deceiving ourselves and thus rob ourselves of the beautiful plans God has in store for us. 
Thank you for joining us today. A heartstrong disciple of Jesus is one who has been saved by grace and is becoming more like Jesus by abiding in Him, learning how Jesus lived, and following in His ways. One of the ways we are helping you become heartstrong is through the monthly training plan, which breaks down how you can practice and develop your spiritual disciplines. Each month, you will find the theme and the focus for the month, a scripture to memorize, a fasting and a Sabbath practice, all of your Bible study, events and schedules and links, questions for personal reflection, and additional recommended content for the weekend. Of course, you have to be a HeartStrong member to access this awesome resource. So visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together. Heart